I just realised I hadn't put a sparkle sound in for ages. I thought you might be missing it. Anyway, hey, the next part of the Band 6 wagon wheel is the disease funnel. Not covering that, except for what we talked about in last week's episode. 13 out of 15 school-aged children will enter the disease funnel when they become adults, as they grow into adulthood. That is all sort. That is all sorts of wrong. So we want to keep people away from that by utilizing the health funnel and utilizing the frameworks that are within inside the health funnel. Front ready for another episode. So the last part here, which will lead us into our expert for this week, um, and we'll have an extended conversation with uh, Dr. Chris Espark from Raleigh, North Carolina. And here we go. So part the last part of the band six wagon wheel is. Would you rather guess or would you rather know with 100% accuracy your child or your student's physical health status? Until now, this form of education and the frameworks that we're putting together inside the Expert Seekers Roadmap, it's all about guessing. Yesterday, this happened yesterday, I'm talking to a teacher who's not from my school and I asked them, hey, how do you, as a female teacher, I think maybe in her 40s, and I said, lovely lady, let's just call her um, Charlene. And I said to her, Charlene, she's had a lot of experience teaching. How, over the years, how have you assessed the practical component of physical education? If you're a teacher, ask yourself this question. If you're a parent, think about asking your school's physical education teacher. How do, they, how do you assess my child's practical component in PE. So what happens is each PE department will have a different set of criteria for assessment. It could be, for example, that they have a games mark, they could have a gymnastics mark, a dance mark, they have um, a theory assignment, a bookwork, classwork mark. They're typical things. But one of those areas is games, which is the bulk of your practical activity in PE classes. How is it assessed? And when I asked Charlene this question, she looked at me and I go, and she said, what do you mean? I said, okay, typically you might get in a half yearly or yearly school report for your assessment, a mark out of 100. 40 of those marks are made up of games. How do you, how do you prove, uh, what's the criteria, I should say, on giving out that games mark out of 40? She looked at me and she said, uh, we don't use any criteria. I said, exactly. So think about this. Your child has gone through elementary or primary school and up to middle school and through high school, depending on which country you live in. And in most circumstances, the criteria is we've given you a games mark out of 40 because we looked at you and said, yep, yeah, our expertise can guess that you're worth 40. Or our expertise says that you've got great volleyball skills. Our expertise says you haven't got great volleyball skills. You can catch or you can't catch. Who cares whether a kid can catch? I don't care whether a kid can catch. Do I care whether they can kick? Because the theory behind this in education, this particular um, uh, methodology, if you like, we call it pedagogy in teaching, is if you improve the child's skills, it'll improve their love of physical activity. Why are we relating, here's my question, why are we relating physical activity to sport skills? 
When you become an adult, how many adults play sport on a regular basis? Answer, not many, hardly any. Because you've got life commitments, work and family, and they suck up all of your time. So you don't, many people, most people don't play competitive sport. So why does school teach in physical education a games mark worth 40 based on sports and sports skills? It doesn't make any sense. What we should be doing, and this is what the Expert Seekers Roadmap encourages to the nth degree, is go and do all the sport things, go and fulfill your obligations with the syllabus as a school teacher, but just get kids physically active through things that are enjoyable, that don't have to rely on skills, that improves their active heart fitness score, the most predominant influencer over their physical health status. That's what we need to do. But when it comes to understanding the impact of physical activity, I would rather know than guess, which is what's been going on since the day dot in the physical education classes. Teachers just essentially guess what your child has accomplished. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of PE teachers. They're the tools you've been given. So the reason that we have this week's expert, Dr. Chris Eschbach, with us from Raleigh is because of his background in heart rate sensor technology. He is a professor of exercise physiology. And I met him back in 2014. This was a really cool thing. I was looking at, this didn't go ahead. The meeting did, but the technology didn't. Um, We were looking at um, heart rate technology and developing it inside earphones. And the technology back in 2014 was so new that Apple World Headquarters in Palo Alto in California, they became interested in the technology. So I flew from Sydney, Australia. Dr. Eschbach flew from uh, Raleigh, and we also had some other people involved flying in from the United States. We met at Apple World Headquarters because they were interested at this stage at, at maybe looking at our technology in a presentation to put it into all of their retail shops and online around the world. Needless to say, we were pretty excited because this could have been a great breakthrough. It didn't go ahead, right? So the meeting happened, but the technology did not get put into their stores for various different reasons. But that's where I met Dr. Eschbach. Had a great time. He's a, a, a really interesting guy. We got along because he's a professor of exercise physiology. He's got a head the size of a football field, not literally, but figuratively. And uh, I asked him a million questions and pestered him. But he's a really lovely guy and he loves to share. And he loves to share in this interview that I'm about to do. Okay, So let's listen to Dr. Eschbach. But before I do, I want to read out his background, his bio, and help you understand who you're about to listen to. Dr. Chris Eschbach serves as a company director in a biometrics lab in Raleigh, North Carolina for a company called Valencell. Well, I call it Valencell. I think Americans call it Valencell. I'm not sure. But he coordinates internal and external clinical validation trials. He supervises and executes validation testing in the lab and the field, as well as contributes to the research and development of the new technology related to physiological biometrics as applied to exercise, medical, and military situations. So what he does is he examines heart rate sensor technology that might be built into an Apple Watch or a Fitbit 
or a Jabra product or a Sony product. And a lot of these technology, a lot of these companies today, I won't say which ones, you can go and look up their website, they actually buy the technology from the company that Dr. Eschbach works for. And because they're the, the inventors of a particular type of technology that can uh, accurately measure, very accurately measure your heart rate in different parts of the body with sensor technology. So this modern new world of activity trackers, Dr. Eschbach, is, you'll find out in the interview, is at the global epicenter of making sure that these technologies are real and actually work. So prior to joining the company he works for, um, Dr. Eschbach founded something called the Human Performance Lab, a facility dedicated to providing physiological consulting, that's a hard word, physiological consulting for wellness and sports. He served as an associate professor at North Carolina Wesleyan College, focusing on research related to validation of biometrics measured by sensors, range, motion, and athletic performance. This guy's a real expert. Previously, he spent 10 years at the Meredith College as an associate professor and chaired the Department of Nutrition, Health, and Performance. He has a PhD in exercise physiology and a master's in human performance from the University of Southern Mississippi and a Bachelor of Science in Zoology from Western Illinois University. And you know what? He's a great guy. I really enjoy talking to Dr. Eschbach. So come and join me and let's listen to Dr. Eschbach talk about some of the work that he does as an expert in heart rate sensor technology so that you can understand the value proposition behind tracking for your child their heart rate and their active heart fitness score. Yeah, it's been you know some of the same, and then working on the blood pressure has been uh, a big thing over the last few years. So. Yeah, that's um, that's quite we, actually, interesting. Yeah, we've measured uh, in the last year. We've measured like five thousand five hundred people's blood pressure. Whoa. Yeah. Now, so this is an op. This is an is an optical device. What that would be in someone's phone? Is that is that what the thinking is? What I've seen. Uh, well, it could be in their phone. Um, it could be in their phone or in an earbud. Yeah, either one. Okay. And what about a watch? Could it end up being in a watch? Right. I mean, that that would hopefully happen down the road, but because yeah. the wrist is not the best location, it's yeah. got to be the ear or the finger to begin with. Mm. So teaching health and physical education in Australia, and I've spoken to quite a few American doctors and professors recently in the interview series. And um, in schools, it's I went to Nashville last year to the largest PE conference in the world. There was about 5,000 PE teachers, and uh, it's not going real well as far as health outcomes are concerned with children and how they are when they leave school. It's not looking good. So. Right. You know that, uh, and I, I think heart rate technology can still, you know, apply. So uh, rather than you know do something where we make our own, like we were tempted to in the early days, we're going to um, uh, do a whole lot of work around education and just use other people's. Yeah, so I chair a uh, committee for the Consumer Technology Association called Health, Fitness, and Wellness Standards Committee. Yep. And we have a, we have standards on heart rate, and we have standards on step rate. We're working on a standard on um, stress monitoring in wearables, and yeah. there's also there's actually currently standards on sleep monitoring. 
And then we then we are, we're also working on a standard for intensity monitoring. Ah. So all of those things are centered around accuracy. That's good. The schools program that we work on is all focused around intensity and, and you know, short bursts of intensity. Yeah. So that's, um, that, that's interesting here. Tell me just a little bit about the work that you do at Valencell and, um, and, you know, what the company does. Yeah, Valencell develops sensor technology to go in wearable devices of other companies. So we really empower other companies to have biometrics in their devices, and that may come in the form of headphones that have biometric monitors, uh, the monitor blood flow, so you can do heart rate, heart rate variability, uh, blood pressure, uh, and then also there's accelerometers that are tied to our sensors, so you can, of course, monitor movement in that way. So maybe in earbuds, uh, we're in hearing aids now, so not just consumer-facing uh, earbud, commercial earbuds, but it's in hearing aids, and then also wrist-based devices, arm-based devices, and, and sensors that go anywhere on the body. Yeah, and then my responsibility, my responsibility within Valencell is to oversee our biometrics laboratory, and we do R and D on our sensors. We do accuracy measurements and validation of our partners' uh, devices that have Valencell sensors in them, and uh, and 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 just overall validation testing of of all sorts of biometric signals. So then, but. If I was to, like, I see all the types of consumer devices that come out and, um, you know, the type of sensor technology that you have, would you be, the lab that you have over there in Raleigh, would that be one of the labs in, that tests the most amount of consumer devices for accuracy of, you know, sensor technology and, and data output in the world? Like, would you have done more tests than most? Uh, I would... I would be confident to say we've done more tests on on uh, biometric sensors as it relates to heart rate and movement than any other place on Earth. Uh, now that may may or may not include all of you know all commercial devices. We certainly we do examine all devices that are on the market for the yep. most part. There may be a few out there that we haven't tested. Yep, but. Um, on a weekly basis, we're just we're we're doing thousands of data sets. Wow, yeah, that and that. I mean, that, and I think that's the thing that um, people need to be confident of is that. And I know when I um, spoke to, for example, Mio and their new armband coming out, and I saw in their video clip they highlight that you know they use the Valencell sensor technology in there because it's the reputation has grown about the accuracy that that you know that your organization, your company has put out. So. And that, all, and that all basically comes, you know, all roads lead back to you. You're the one and your team actually testing it. And uh, whilst people in, in your company create it, you're the one that makes sure it actually works and, uh, and become, becomes yeah, accurate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not that everything is accurate all the time. I mean, we do test the corner cases and try to see where it fails and that sort of thing. And the thing about with us uh, in the lab and, and balance overall is we want to, provide to our partners we want to want to empower them to show at the times when the data is not accurate so they don't do analysis on something that's not real heart rate yeah or say real heart rate and so things like quality of signal and and how to determine when um a, the signal or the biometric signal whether it's heart rate or something else is real or or not or or it or it shouldn't be it's or it's actually not being measured at the time so yeah 
Yeah. Accuracy is really important, and also just knowing when you're accurate is probably more important than anything. Oh, okay. And that kind of that gives me t- the second discussion topic that I have is that there's you know there's a, a huge rise in the last you know half decade around the use of heart rate in modern consumer tech. You know, we we know obviously the big players in the marketplace and a lot of other companies as well. And one of the applications of this is towards improving health outcomes of people who use this technology. And I, as an educator, I've got a question, and as for you as one of the professors at you know the, the leading edge on a global basis, how do you see heart rate technology helping to improve the health outcomes of people who use it? Yeah, you know, I mean, heart rate uh, in wearables has been around for a really long time. We've had, you know, chest straps on athletes for a very long time, or electrocardiograms even on athletes. And really, where we're at, where I see it now is just this more seamless thing. So we're going to have or already have devices on our body um, where biometrics like heart rate are going to be measured or we have the ability to measure them and we didn't necessarily buy the device just to measure heart rate perhaps yep. but it's going it measures heart rate and and we can put that heart rate in context and have large amounts of data on a single individual and really where the strength of this kind of i always have a have some data with me every day uh where the strength of this lies is in the presentation and the context of that data mm. uh, being brought back, being brought back to the individual. You know, instead of just like, "Oh, yesterday your resting heart rate was seventy. Well, yay! What am I supposed to do with that? I need to yes. actionable feedback from these devices, right? Yeah, yeah. So you kind of sing in my song as a, as a school teacher. I, uh, you know, the school that I teach at in Sydney here in Australia. There is one thousand eight hundred students. I reckon I've asked one thousand eight hundred students. Um, either as groups or individuals, um, you know, how, like how many of you have got some kind of device that tracks your fitness or has a tracking device? And lots of them put a hand up. And then I say, keep your hand up if you understand how the data improves your health. Because our big thing is, is health and physical education. And um, I think that's the big problem. I, I, I literally cannot see a hand that stays up because the kids don't know, and I, I don't know whether adults are the same because I don't work with adults, but they don't know what the data means for their health outcomes. With yeah, that- absolutely, and it's been like that uh, from the beginning. It's been like that. Uh, you know, that's really a weakness of uh, the wearable tech, uh, the wearable technology, uh, even from the very, very beginning of monitoring heart rate is... W- give me actionable feedback in a way that I, I'm, I stay interested in it. Yeah. I also see a problem where there's a mismatch between um, the industry, uh, the consumer, and then the medical uh, or health professionals, right? So you know, a lot of medical and health professionals, they don't, they're getting, it's getting better. They are. They realize all of these people are wearing these devices, and and they start to show a little bit of interest. But uh, and for good reason, they may have some distrust in these devices, and they're like, "Well, what am I supposed to? You know, if a patient comes and I, oh, I have my heart rate data from the past year, Doc, can you, you know, can yeah. you look at my heart rate data from the past year? Well, how? What are they really? Even they don't even know what to do with that data. So yes. until this kind of big big data set is. Um, 
mind, I guess, or, uh, you know, uh, through some data science and that sort of thing and presented in ways that are actionable for both the consumer and their healthcare providers, it's kind of, it's, in a way, it's not as, it's not as powerful as it can be. And, and it's getting better, but it's still got a long ways to go. And that's interesting you say it because uh, one of the professors I've been working with in Melbourne is not a professor of exercise science. He's actually a professor of what we call pedagogy. So he studies what makes successful learners in the classroom. Um, and this guy is a laureate professor, John Hattie. And um, he has uh, studied through metadata analysis uh, 300 million students over the last 15 or 20 years. And um, he's come up with a set of criteria. And his big statement, when he boils everything down to one kind of key area, is know your impact. And so what we see in, in, like, here's an example. I spoke to a professor of childhood physical activity research two days ago in Australia, the leading guy, Professor Dick Telford. And he said there's a new research coming out that ranks 150 countries for children's physical activity levels. And he said, he asked me the question, where do you think Australia ranks? And I go, I don't know. It's 150. One is best, 150 is worst. He goes, Australia. And he said it's the most accurate study that's just about ever been done on childhood physical activity. And, uh, and he said, Australia ranks 146 out of 150. So the impact, well, the impact of our... The U.S. is probably 147. Yeah, I knew you were going <laughs> to... I don't know. I don't know. You know what? When the study comes out, I'll send it across to you. It's, it's, it's under embargo at the yeah. moment, but it comes out next week or the week yeah. after in a, in a journal. And um, when it comes out, let's see where we rank. And, uh, and that's my big thing. And, yeah. and my big question in this discussion topic is, what's the impact of the consumer technology? And what we see at, at our company is that adults don't seem to, they want a device and they're interested in the data, but that you have to spend time to learn how to be educated. So I just finished interviewing Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, who's the chief medical officer of the American Heart Association. And we talked about the, the relationship between resting heart rate, high blood pressure, and end-stage organ failure and how it happens over the span of your lifetime. So one of the things that we're doing right now in our company is we're putting some education content together, which is really engaging because this is obviously our wheelhouse, that's really interesting to children to show them, well, not only do you need to track your resting heart rate, you need to understand what blood pressure is, but rather than just be told what is high blood pressure and what is low, that high blood pressure is not good, then lead it on to link to something like end-stage organ failure. Uh, you know whether it's like whether it's you know congestive heart failure or as Dr. Sanchez told me. So we went through congestive heart failure, stroke in the brain, and end stage kidney failure, all as a result of hey, there's a great correlation between resting heart rate and the stuff that you guys are going to have on a device soon, which is high blood pressure. So I think that's the big thing. Right. The big thing to me seems to be how do you get well in my case. We've got a captured audience. We've got children who are in schools. And, uh, you know, how do we get... We want parents as well to understand that we can educate them and their children on how to use this tech in a way which has that meaningful impact. Um, so it's interesting that you... Uh, and, you, you, and you, you, you talked about the, the pedagogy, uh, pedagogy, and 
I mean, it really boils down to even if even if we um, have devices that provide actionable feedback and and that provide uh, chronic disease prediction and that sort of thing, what it really really comes down to, and, and your audience is great for this, is what can we do for behavior change modification, right? Because yeah. no matter how much how much these devices are measuring, no matter how much we tell a consumer, a person, you know, here's your, here's your biometrics, uh, you're not doing very well, you should do better. Uh, and, and I think at this point, it would be rare for someone that has... Uh, consumer technology that does this sort of thing and almost everybody else for, to not realize that physical activity is beneficial to them. Well, the real question is what can, what about their life prevents it from happening? You know, is it, it, it and, and what kind of behavior change can we, can we have them do that it becomes part of their life? You know, it, it, and hopefully the, I guess the real goal of all this all this technology is to help enable and empower that behavior change. Yeah, and it, and there's no question it does. I mean, it's the kind, it's a very exciting the work that you do at our end, if you like, where I'm with children all the time, and you know that there'd be in Sydney, Australia, there would be valence cell heart rate sensors. There'd be some kids wearing technology that's related to what you guys do, uh, your actual tech, right, and the stuff that you would have tested to make sure that it works. And then my role is just to make sense of it. And I mean, my thinking after 30 years of being a health and physical education teacher in schools, my thinking is, and where I'm leaning towards is, you need to put a a simple systematic program in place that achieves this outcome of changing the, the habits of children. So rather than just make it education and say, well, let's learn this, let's learn that, let's learn this, it's at the same time as you're learning it, let's go do uh, so that we can, you know, examine personal. One thing I found out about children, and I'm sure adults are the same is, uh, but when, ch- when you teach children in schools is when the education is about them personally, they become mega interested no matter what the topic is. So, you know, if a kid, when, when I'm teaching children about um, uh, you know, we use this this technology from um, IHT USA in Austin called Interactive Health Technologies. Um, when we're teaching children and they see their own data for the first time and actually made sense of, then and we interpret their data into health outcomes, they really become engaged to the point where I've had children go home and do things around physical activity to improve the data sets that they would have in their PE classes at school. And that's pretty interesting to see them to do that on their own, you know, off their own back. Yeah, I mean, working on those achievements, whether it's kind of gamification or not, uh, definitely motivates some, some people for a while. And I think the key is that continued uh, progression where, yes. you know, it's, it's super interesting and super unique and motivating for a while. But then, you know, does it continue to grow with you? Right. As, as they get more fit or more healthy, um, are there continued, uh, points of motivation and growth where, uh, you know, I've had devices on and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty highly physically active. Mm. And of course, it, it, day one, day one, I've met my weekly goal of a physical activity. Well, 
you know, it's like, okay, well, what else are you going to tell me? Day two, I've doubled my weekly, you know, yeah. need, but it'd be nice for it, for it to break it down further. And I, I think that's true on all levels. There's a, it's a continuum where someone is moving for the first time, and I'm not even talking about physical activity. Um, you know, it's contextual, it's individualized, like you talk about, and I think it, it's, it's just, a, it's, uh, that's a really important and, and some pretty complex thing to be able to be successful at is to, individualize it and and make it work for everyone altogether. the way yeah and that's what we've really broken down with what we do with my child's healthy life project is that once again like years ago when we first started talking with you guys we're focusing on cardiorespiratory fitness scores of children and what i've worked with the cooper institute over there in dallas and we've come up with some percentile rankings for children based on age and gender and We've classified them rather than percentiles, which kind of confuses children, and rather than a word like cardiorespiratory fitness score, we've called it active heart fitness score, and we rank it into bands. So in education, in maths and English and science and all the other subjects, if you perform at band one in your academic outcomes, that's the lowest percentile in Australia. If you perform at band six, that's the highest percentile, no matter what subject you're in in theory subjects I'm talking about. And so what we decided to do was yeah. we took cardiorespiratory fitness or active heart fitness scores and we now rank them in bands. So our systematic approach is we found around about 70% of kids are in bands one, two, three, and four. You need to be in band five and six, according to the Dallas Institute. Um, uh, uh, you need to be in band five and band six in order to be qualified or classified as being physically healthy. And then after, so we look at one of the big things from that professor in Melbourne around pedagogy is don't look at your overall outcome, but look at your progressive growth. So we look at progressive growth scores for each child. And then we also look at what band they're in. And once they are in band five and six, it all becomes about gamification after that. And that is, you know, where, you know, how you, so that, you know, as we know, cardiorespiratory fitness is like a battery. You've got to keep it charged. So if it doesn't keep charged, you'll run out of, your score will get lower and you'll drop out of band five and band six. So that's where a lot of our work is is focused on. But then our big work is focused on, and this is the question I'd ask you and to see whether or not, and I, I'm almost conf- certain of the answer, but I love hearing this from people who have PhDs in exercise physiology. What would you say is the importance of cardiorespiratory fitness in the overall health component of an, indiv- of an individual? Well, I, I mean, it's just functional fitness is what it is. And, and, and you know, I, on a, a daily basis, I observe uh, individuals that have low-function fitness, and it's not about the fitness. They're not, they're not trying to compete. They're actually just trying to do daily activities and, and actually cannot do it. Or you know, has uh, fallen over, and and I'm con- I'm continually thinking about what if that person had a higher level of cardiorespiratory fitness and and muscular strength early in life, the uh, degradation that they've seen as they become um, older wouldn't be as low. You know, they wouldn't end up in the place that they're at yeah. uh, having this low function, low functionality, uh, inability to, to do daily tasks and that sort of thing. And, and it's, 
you know, and, and I have lots of discussions with uh, individuals about this. It's, it's building that foundation through your life um, to have a high quality of life. It doesn't matter if, you know, we're all striving to the same thing. It's just, mm. you know, can we make our bodies more efficient? Uh, and that efficiency is completely tied to cardiorespiratory fitness. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. And uh, what about the other the other two things we focus on in our education program to keep it simple? So we have the active heart fitness score or cardio CRF, but we also look quite closely uh, with our um, data sets around resting um, heart fitness scores and recovery scores as well. So how do like? Do you see them playing a similar role? Like, how do you think about it in your job? both the resting scores and the recovery scores, how they can be used to help people understand health? Yeah, the resting score, I think, is is one, again, it's been around forever, but it's the fact that we can get this day-to-day tracking of recovery where we might be sleeping at night and and right before we get up, we get a consistent um, resting heart rate score and, and, and as that changes... Um, and especially if we have context to this whole thing, you know, with how, if, if we're tracking someone's movement mm-hmm. and intensity through the day and perhaps their, their stress and that sort of through, through the day, and then tracking this resting heart rate um, and also things that go along with it, maybe like heart rate variability. But um, that, you know, I think we can really start to predict um, changes in fitness and health and those sorts of things with the uh, the resting heart rates and, and heart rate variability, uh, it, it, research is showing that it, it it's a predictor of chronic disease and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess that brings me kind of the last kind of question that I had on my list here, and this is I mean the information here is just exactly what I've been looking for. Um, so if you could, based on the stuff that you do with heart rate technology there and the things you're going to be doing with blood pressure as that you know comes down the down the tube, so to speak, in the in coming years. Like, if you could see anything happen in this field, I'm kind of interested in what your vision might be or your thoughts might be about what the future might look like with heart rate technology and health to come in the years to come. Yeah, well, my, my biggest hope for heart rate technology and all biometrics technology is that it's... Um, it's more interchangeable, you know, and it's devices measure um, heart rate. Let's, if we just stay at the at heart rate level, yeah. we won't even consider other biometrics. But if we stay at heart rate level alone, it's a huge difficulty in switching between devices, right? I, I like to wear a watch. I'm a watch wearer, yeah. so I like, to, you know, I like to get my heart rate, my resting heart rate. But then when I do certain workouts, it prevents me from wearing a watch. So I would like to wear an earbud with heart rate in it. Yeah. Or I'd like to wear an armband. Yeah. But it's, it's very difficult to seamless, seamlessly change between those devices, especially if they're from different companies, um, and, and get your data. Of course, there's the, mm. you know, some big players, and, you can, and put it into certain apps or that sort of thing, but yeah. they may not provide the things that you're looking for. So... This interoperability uh, exchange of data is is still a long way from uh, from from being you know being there. And uh, an example, we've been working for two days uh, yesterday and today yeah. to actually just 
simply get heart rate data from a particular smartwatch. And we actually cannot get it out of the watch. We cannot get our own heart rate data out of this smartwatch. We've got a few fragments of the data, but if I want to go for an exercise session and I say, after this exercise session, I want to look, I want to get my own data and do some stuff with it. We spent two days trying to just get heart rate and we can't get just heart rate out of that. And that's completely wrong. It's my heart rate. I should be able to analyze it. And this is a, this is a, this is a piece of consumer tech. This is a piece of consumer tech that's available to everyone. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a consumer device that, you know, probably millions of people have, have, uh, have and it, it, display, it gives me data. Yeah. It, it shows me data. But if I actually want to get the data myself and maybe, you know, another company wants to use that heart rate and, and put it into their application, then that's not, uh, not very easy. And, and we're not talking about, you know, some proprietary uh, thing. We're talking about heart rate. <laughs> talking, yeah, and, you know, and, our, and our, the heart rate. That, and the heart rate. So that company's probably got your heart rate. And you can see it on the device, but you and can't. the company does. Yeah, and so you can see it on the device, but you can't get that to do what you want to do with your own data. Is that what you're saying? Right, and, and, and I, yeah, and I realize, you know, a normal consumer doesn't necessarily want to download their data and have the data and do things with it. Yeah. I'm, putting, I'm putting it more in the context of, like, I want to seamlessly go between devices, and in order for that to happen, data from devices needs to be more easily accessible to other devices. Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, and, and, of course, the consumer should have access, but not, not all consumers are going to want to have that you know, and, and, and do the things that I do with the, with the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to kind of answer your question, I mean, and, and we've, you know, we've talked about this over the years, but it, it is an integration of many things that, that is required to provide this actionable feedback. Heart rate can be the foundation. Um, and, and other things, you know, movement patterns, using accelerometers and those sorts of things. But I hope that it, I hope it continues to be kind of this multifaceted, but interoperable approach. Yeah. Um, okay. It's good. That's it. And, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Everybody wants their. Everybody wants their special thing, and that's that's what makes it hard. Well, that's Dr. Chris Eschbach from Valencell in Raleigh, in the United States of America. What a great interview that was. And I'm going to go back to him in future episodes. I've got other questions I want to ask. We need to wrap this up. This episode's been very long and I have divided it into two parts because I thought it was too long in just one episode. Um, Next week on the radio show, this week we've concentrated on the Band 6 wheel, the Band 6 wagon wheel. Next week, we're gonna take it a step further, which is what Dr. Eschbach talks about, about what is actionable, and we're going to concentrate on what's called the Band 6 ladder. It's different than the band six wheel. I can't wait to bring you that. And I've got two experts next week. So we're going to cut them in half and bring two in together uh, at different times during the radio show. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy the rest of your week. Chase down that active heart fitness score. And if you want to know more, it's available in the book and the online course. And you can go and get deeper knowledge for parents and deeper knowledge for students and the student cohort. Hey, bye for now. You guys have a great week. Bye.